In your, in your notes this morning, you can follow a line. If you, if you download our church app, there's sermon notes digitally uh, in, the, in the sermon app itself if you want to follow along with that. But we were introduced to the church of Ephesus three weeks ago. And that church, literally, the name Ephesus means fully purposed. This was a church in the first century that if you were looking for a church, this thing had some qualifications that would say, hey, that, those, are, those are things I need to look for in a church. We'll talk about those in just a second. But they were a fully purposed church. They were one of, Ephesus was one of the largest cities in Asia Minor. We've studied this extensively. There was a lot of idolatry in that city. There was a worship of, of Diana, this false goddess. And yet, in that city was this church, and it was a strong church. It was a disciple-making church. It was a Bible-preaching church in that pagan city. And, and so we've studied the historical reference to that. And then we learned that Christ reveals himself in a very particular way. In Revelation chapter 2, it tells us, here's what Christ says to this church. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the golden candlesticks. And we studied those seven stars and those seven candlesticks a couple of weeks ago, but the takeaway for us was that Christ talks to his church. He, he has something to say to his church these things saith he. And, and the Bible also says that Christ walks in the midst of his church. That means that we should feel his presence. We should experience the very real presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as we assemble together. And so we learned that about Christ. And then we, we learned a couple of weeks ago that Christ commended this church for a lot of different things. And this is powerful. Uh, this church was a productive church. And the Lord says to this church, I know thy works. And the works that this church was doing was the work of evangelism and discipleship. And, and we asked the question, if, if the Lord looked at our church, would the Lord see us doing that work? Would the Lord see us as individual Christians doing that work? And, and, and the Lord noticed that about Ephesus. He, he says, you're a productive church. I know your works. He also said, I know your labor. And that word labor is not another word for work, but it actually is, is a word for, for, for trouble or weariness or pain. And, and so Ephesus was not only a productive church, but they were a persevering church. In other words, when they were doing ministry, it wasn't always easy. It, it's easy to do ministry when it's easy. It's easy to share the gospel when everybody's receptive. It's easy to disciple people when they, when they want to learn God's word and follow Christ. But there are some challenges that come in ministry. This was a very pagan city, and there was opposition to the work, and yet this church persevered in the midst of tribulation and trouble. I would say the last two years for almost every church has been a time of persevering, wouldn't you? Man, we, we as the church, as, as the church of Jesus Christ, we've experienced some hard things with COVID and lockdown and government, and, and I'm not here to make a political statement this morning, but my point is it's been really hard to do ministry the last couple of years. And yet the Lord knows that. He, he, he's, he's looking at this church and he says, I know your labor. I know that you're slugging it out even when it's hard. Number three, this church was a patient church. He says, I know thy patience. And that's something we all need. The old adage is never pray for patience because then the Lord makes things very difficult in your life, right? I need it. You need it. We need it as a church. They, and, and they were patient in the work. And then, and then and they, this is all review this morning. Ephesus was a perturbed church because it's, Jesus says of this church that they couldn't bear them which are evil. 
In other words, there, there was a standard of holiness in this church at Ephesus. And evil things just, man, they just couldn't tolerate evil in their church. They had a, a righteous standard. And, and, and the Lord commended that. And I think that's a positive thing. And then we learned last week that Ephesus was a proving church. Because it says in chapter 2, Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. And this is an interesting portion of Scripture because this church was commended by Christ himself as being, if you will let me use the term, an intolerant church. As a matter of fact, they, they... spotted out a group of people that said they were apostles, and the truth is they really weren't apostles. And, and God himself, Christ himself, said those people are liars. And this church was commended for, for pointing out and, and realizing that there are people that are false apostles. Now, we spent a lot of time on this last week. I wanna, can I spend like five minutes on this again this morning? Because I think this is an important thing for us to understand in our modern-day Christianity because we need to understand what the apostolic gift was and when it was. And so I'd like to take just a minute this morning to remind us as as we study that the apostles were, and, and maybe take this note down in your notes, the apostles were gifts given by Christ. They were gifts given to the body of Christ by Christ himself. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, and I think I've got, yeah, I've got it on the screen. God tells us that Christ himself gave gifts to men. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, verse 7, it says, But unto every one of us is grace given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Listen, and he gave gifts unto men. And we're talking about Christmas time and getting gifts and giving gifts. Without a doubt, the greatest gift is Christ. But Christ, through the Holy Spirit of God, gave gifts unto men, spiritual gifts. And and then the verse tells us in verse 11 that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so when you go to Ephesians chapter 4, what you have is a partial list of the spiritual gifts that God gives the church through the Holy Spirit of God, through Christ himself, through the Spirit of God. So we need to understand that the apostles were a gift given by Christ himself. Number two, we need to understand that the apostles received revelation from God, it shouldn't say for God in your notes, from God by the Spirit of God. This gift of the apostle was a very unique gift for the body of Christ. They received revelation from God through the Spirit of God, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Paul writes and he says, "...whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ." which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as is now revealed, listen, it's now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the what? So there were some things that weren't known in the Old Testament, but now God reveals them to his holy apostles and prophets, and how does he do that? By the Spirit. And and so the gift of the apostle was a revelatory gift. Uh, got too much potato candy still. Revelatory gift. In other words, the apostle received from the Spirit of God God's Word and proclaimed God's Word. Does that make sense? You guys tracking so far? 
So, so listen, the, the question on the table is, is the gift of the apostle still an active gift in the church today? And if you say that the gift of the apostle is still active, what you're saying is that the revelation of God's word has not fully been revealed. In other words, there's more revelation than what we have in the scriptures. And I would say that's, a, that's an inaccurate conclusion. Because, because it was for a time and for a purpose. But we have the full canon of scripture. We had all of God's word that we're going to get. And if someone were to say, well, God told me to tell you, I would say, please show me book, chapter, and verse. Because God's already given us his word. The canon of scripture is complete. And to say that the gift of the apostle continues to be active today is to say that the revelation of God is not complete. And I would say that's, let me, let me rephrase that. It doesn't matter what I say. Jesus Christ says those people are liars. They're liars. Because the canon of Scripture is complete. The apostolic gift was, was confirmed by signs throughout the Bible. And, and so when an apostle spoke on behalf of God, there were signs that confirmed what the apostle was speaking was actually true. And the reason that there were signs is because nobody had a full Bible. Because these revelation gifts that were revealing God's Word in its completion... Well, it was being revealed. It was the process of revelation. So in Acts chapter 2 and verse 43, the Bible says, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the, the apostles. And if you go back in Acts chapter 2, they were preaching the word of God. And it, and it was confirmed through the signs. Acts chapter 5 and verse 14, By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all, in, in, in all patience, signs and wonders, and mighty deeds. And, and, and so the point is, if we were to say that the gift of the apostle is still active today, today, number one, we're saying that the revelation of God is not complete. Number two, what we're saying is what needs to be spoken or what is being spoken has to be confirmed by signs. If we say the gift of the apostle is still active today, well, then anybody that stands and preaches God's word has to confirm that through signs and wonders. Now, the only sign and wonder that modern-day quote-unquote apostles seem to be able to perform is getting money from your wallet into theirs. And that may be a wonder. <laughs> what makes me wonder why you believe that mess? I mean, listen, all you have to do is go back to the word of God. You know what you need to do on a Sunday morning when you hear a sermon in this church? You take those notes, you take the video recording, you go back with your Bible and you say, man, is that really in there? And you go back to the Word of God and see if what, what we're teaching is really true. And listen, we're not ashamed of that or scared of that. We, we, we encourage that. We want you to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 who searched the Scriptures. Even Paul... Ran, ran across a group of people that didn't take his word verbatim. They said, okay, I'm going to listen to what you got to say, but I'm going to go back to the Bible and see if what you're saying really is in the Bible. Is it biblical and scriptural? And so this thing of the apostolic gift, listen, it was part of the revealing of God's word. Mark 16 and verse 20 tells us that when the apostles preached God's word, they confirmed the word with signs following but because you have a Bible, there's no need 
There's no need for miracles and signs and wonders because we have the full revelation of God. And so to say that that gift is still active, number one, means, means God's word is not complete. Number two, it means that there needs to be a confirmation from anyone that claims to be an apostle. There needs to be a confirmation of signs and wonders to prove what he's saying is true. And then number three, the apostles are part of the foundation of the church. They're, they're part of the foundation of the church. And, and I know we're doing Bible study the day after Christmas, and I know that you're, you know, still recovering from all the bad choices you made yesterday. But, but listen, this is an important point because the foundation is the first part of any building. And when the foundation is complete, then you build upon that foundation, right? If you're going to build a house, you lay the foundation first. You don't start with the walls or the ceiling or the roof or the, or, or the doors or the windows. You start with the foundation. And once that foundation is laid, you build upon that foundation. So look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. It says, Now ye therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And can I just say this morning that the foundation of the church are the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That is the foundation of the church. And, and so if you say today that the gift of the apostle is still given by the Holy Spirit of God, what you're saying is the foundation of the church is not complete. That's what you're saying. Because the gift is a, founda it's a foundational gift. And what you're saying is that there's an incomplete foundation what you're also saying is, until the foundation is finished, you can't build upon it. And, and I know you're probably wondering, why in the world are we rehashing all this? Because we live in a day and a time, just like in Ephesus, where people claim falsely to be apostles, and they claim falsely the apostolic gifts, and they claim falsely the position and office that God gave in the early church, and they claim to have revelation from God that's extra-biblical, and they have signs and wonders that are absolutely manifestations of their carnality. And we don't need any of it in the church because we have a Bible. You know, there were 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. You know that. You know that Judas fell by transgression. You know from Acts chapter 1 that Matthias was chosen as the 12th apostle to replace Judas. Why were there 12 apostles of Jesus Christ? Matthew 19 and verse 28 tells us that those 12 apostles are going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Jay, are you saying there are only 12 apostles in the whole Bible? I'm saying there are 12 apostles of Jesus Christ in the Bible. That's what I'm telling you. You say, well, I don't believe that. We'll, we'll look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 10 through 14, when God gives us the description of New Jerusalem. It tells us that this, this new Jerusalem, this city of God coming down from heaven, is an amazing city. It has 12 gates, 12 angels. And the Bible says on, in, in verse 12 that, 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 that on these gates are written the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. The north, three gates. The south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them, the names of how many apostles of the Lamb? Twelve. 
And anybody that would say, well, there's more than 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, I guess never made it to Revelation chapter 21. Because Revelation 21 tells you that there are 12 apostles of the Lamb. And since there are only 12 foundations and 12 gates, well, there's only going to be 12. So there are 12 apostles of Christ. What about the apostle Paul? Well, Paul was a special apostle. God tells us that in 1 Timothy 2 and 2 Timothy 1, that Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was an apostle born out of due season. He never included himself in the 12. As a matter of fact, he said, I am the least of all apostles. I don't even measure up to the chiefest of the apostles. So Paul himself distinguished himself from the 12. Paul will not be seated on one of those 12 thrones. He won't be. And so if you're counting, you've got the 12 original. Judas fell. You've got Matthias, that's 13. You've got Paul, that's 14. There are only two other men in the Bible that are, that are called an apostle. James, the Lord's brother, is called an apostle in Galatians chapter 1 in verse 19, where Paul says concerning his conversion, he says, other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. And the inference is that James, the Lord's brother, half-brother, at this point is an apostle. We know from Acts chapter 15 that, that James is the lead apostle or lead pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Because when the issue of circumcision comes up for Gentile believers, James is the one that makes the determining decision over that issue doctrinally. James would have been converted somewhere after John chapter 7 and verse 5 because none of Jesus' half-brothers and sisters believed that he was the Son of God. And so he's called an apostle, and then Barnabas is called an apostle in Acts chapter 14 and verse 14. Which, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out. And as you know that Barnabas was sent out of the church of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 13, excuse me, sent out of the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 13. And that's it. So if you're counting, you got 12, Judas fell, you got 13, Matthias, you got Paul, 14, you got James, 15, you got Barnabas. And you won't find another apostle named in the Bible. You say, why is that important? Well, it's important because God gave that gift as a foundational gift. And the foundation of the church has been, has been laid, and the revelation of God is completely revealed. So we either have it or we don't. Ephesus was commended because people called themselves apostles, and Jesus Christ said to those people, you're liars. And as you study the rest of the Bible, man, it's very interesting as it relates to local church leadership the apostles are never really mentioned. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 20, when Paul calls for the leadership of the church of Ephesus, and this is his final meeting with the leaders of the church of Ephesus, he says in Acts 20 and verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't he call the apostles of the church of Ephesus? Why didn't he call the apostles? Well, because elders are pastors, elders are bishops. And I, and I know this morning you're like, man, what, what in the world? Well, it's important we understand the Bible. In the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians was written specifically to the believers at Philippi, and Paul, through the book of Philippians, addressed that book to the bishops and to the deacons in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Why didn't Paul address the apostles at Philippi? 
because there weren't any. In 1 Peter chapter 5, when, when Peter addresses leaders in the church, he says in verse 1, the elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder. Why didn't Peter address the apostles in the church? Well, because Peter knew that that gift was temporary and for a select few, few, few people. As a matter of fact, even in Titus chapter 1, when, when Paul writes to Titus and gives him instruction in ordaining leadership in the church, he's t- he says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, I want you to set some things in order that are wanting, and I want you to ordain elders in every city. Not ordain apostles, ordain elders in every city. I mean, why didn't Paul admonish Titus to ordain apostles in every city? And by the way, the gift of the pastorate is also a spiritual gift, according to Ephesians chapter 4. You say, why is this important? Well, some of you know, because some of you have come from churches that are a little misunderstood on this topic. People that stand in pulpits and say that they're modern-day apostles, that have the gift of revelation, and also falsely confirm those revelations through the false, false gift of signs and tongues. And you need to know that that gift is temporal. You say, well, the Holy Spirit is the same and God is the same yesterday, today, forever, for sure. And why don't you go back and live in the Old Testament if God's the same and start sacrificing lambs for your sin and see how far that gets you. It won't get you far at all. And God is the same. But the way he deals with man is different. And those spiritual gifts are different. As a matter of fact, every one of us have a spiritual gift. And I got money on the fact that they're probably all different. We're not all preachers. We're not all gifted to be ministers. We're not all gifted with the gift of service, but we are all gifted. And those gifts differ according to the Spirit of God in our life. Fun fact, I would like anybody to open their Bible and show me one Gentile apostle in the Bible. Show me a Gentile apostle, a non-Jewish apostle in the Bible, and I'll buy you a steak dinner. Okay, so Proverbs 25 and verse 14 says this, "'Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like cloud and wind,' without rain. Ephesus was really good because they, God commended them because they recognized people that say they are something they are not are professing that they have a false gift. And again, man, I'm not going to be mean-spirited like some people. I'm not going to be a jerk. You may think I am, but that's okay. I just want us as a church to understand that, that there is a time and place for that gift, and it has ceased. It has absolutely ceased because you have the full revelation of Scripture. And Jesus Christ himself says, those people are liars. And if you have issue with that or or take offense to that, man, it's the Lord that says that himself. And so this church was a proving church. That's all introduction. How are we doing on time? (laughs) This church was also commended because they were a powerful church, you know, God says you've borne some things, You've, you've borne some burdens, you've carried some weight probably carried your cross, and, and the Lord commends that. And then he says there are a predisposed church because you've labored for my name's sake. That's all review. So let's take the last few minutes and talk about today as we finish this church of Ephesus. Can you pick it up in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4 as we, as we try to close the, the door on this book? As much as Ephesus had going right, and they did, there were two things of concern. Number four, God gives them a correction that we need to be mindful of. Because if this church could, could be on the receiving end of God's correction, we also probably need to be on the receiving end of God's correction. Verse four, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. 
I mean, everything positive the Lord said about this church, and it was positive. That's the kind of church you want to land in. A a church that loves the Word of God, that loves the ministry, that does the right things, that, that takes a stand on the truth of the Bible and doesn't compromise it. Okay, listen, as, as powerful as all that is, the, the correction was, the Lord says, hey, listen, you've left your first love. Man, how could they leave their first love if they were doing so many things right? And, and we have to ask the question to ourselves. Like, you see, what the church of Ephesus shows us is that we can do all the right things without having a right relationship with the Lord. And that's a, that's a, that, that ought to be a warning to every one of us. Now listen, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 tells us that we love God because He first loved us. When I, when I got saved at the age of 21, I thought I knew what love was. You know, I was an idiot. And I can say that because I'm an expert on me. So uh, listen, I, I, you know, dating relationships through high school and even college, I would throw that word out. You know, well, I love you, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and then I got saved. And I responded to the gospel, how God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And for the very first time in my life, I understood what love really was. I understood that God loved and he gave, and he gave his son to die for me. So then my eyes were open to like, man, whatever I've been saying love is, is, is I have no clue. This is what love is. And so he first loved me, and because of that, I in turn love him. And man, I remember when I got saved, man, I love the Lord. I love the Lord so much, man. I was thankful for him dying on the cross for my sin. You know, 1 John 4 and verse 9 tells us, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only son into the world that we might have life through him. And and so, man, the, the first real love relationship any of us can ever have is with the Lord Jesus Christ because he loved us first. We don't even know what love is until we come to the cross and understand what God's love is truly for us. This church experienced that because they're a church. They're saved people. But here's what happened. In the course of their life, they got really good at doing ministry, but they walked away from a relationship. And so get this key principle in your notes. Ministry for Christ is no replacement for a relationship with Christ. And can you you take that to heart for just a second? This church had everything going right. And the correction was, from the Lord himself, you've left your first love. That had to sting a little bit. Because they were doing good things. They were making right stands. They were suffering in labor and and turmoil and persecution and yet staying faithful to the ministry. And yet the Lord himself is saying, listen, you've left your first love. God tells us in Mark 12 and verse 30, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And you can't do that until you've received the love of God in your life. But when you receive it, man, God wants to, he wants you to reciprocate that love back to him. And the danger for this church is the same danger we face. It is possible to be in love, listen, with the things of God and all the while leaving a right relationship with God. In other words, we can do the right activities, we can make the right stance for truth and still be disconnected from Him. And can I just tell you, listen, if that happens to this church, it can happen to this church, 
And it can happen to us as individuals. It can. And, and can I just tell you, the Lord loved this church enough to, to correct them and say, hey, you've left your first love. You know, the classic line, the, the classic breakup line in a relationship, right? It's not you, it's, it's me. Some of you have used that, right? Okay, nobody's going to admit to using it. Oh, but, you know, it's just, you know, we just need to end this thing because it, it really it's not you, it's, it's me. Well, in this relationship, can I just tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, ah, yeah, it's not me. It's you. (laughs) That's what he's saying. It's you. You're the one that left. And, and, And I know, listen, I know that there are times in all of our lives where we feel like our relationship with God is not what it used to be. I know that. And I would say even as a church, there's times where we go through seasons where our relationship with God is not what it used to be. We don't feel his presence. Listen, we're busy doing ministry, and we're standing for truth, and we're doing the right things. But we would say, we would say things like this. Listen, man, I just don't have a desire for the Word of God like I used to, but I still go to church. I still serve in ministry. I still sing on the praise team. I still teach when needed. We would say things like, well, I just don't pray like I used to. But listen, I still try to be a witness for the Lord. I'm still discipling people. I still prepare my children's lesson every week. We would say things like, well, I don't enjoy the fellowship with the body of Christ like I used to. But man, listen, if you ask me to do anything, I'll do it. You see, you see we would many times be guilty of saying we don't feel his presence like we used to. And the Lord's just kind of whispering in our ear, and reminding us he didn't go anywhere. As a matter of fact, he, he gives us promises through his Bible that his presence is guaranteed. Can I give you Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20? And, and, and this is kind of that great commission passage, but, but the end of it really is the point that I want to focus in on today. You know, he tells his disciples, Go therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And we would say, Amen, let's go do that. But we sometimes forget the last part of that verse. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. I mean, Hebrews 13 and verse 5 tells us that Christ is never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And we have to come to the understanding in our life that if our relationship is not what it used to be, He didn't leave. We did. We're the ones who left. And it begs the question, why do we leave? Why do we leave our first love? Man, listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, why is it that we get so on fire for the Lord earlier in our walk with Christ? Man, you get saved, and you are just passionate about God, and you want to know God, you want to know everything. It's all new to you. I got saved at 21, didn't grow up in church, never read the Bible. It was all new. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And the more I prayed, the more I wanted to pray. And the more I read, the more I wanted to read his word. Because it was about him. And then you, you spend a few years getting discipled and starting to serve in ministry and doing the right things. And then you realize, well, I know these are the right things. But man, his presence isn't what it used to be. The relationship's not what it used to be. You know, we do that in our marriages, by the way, right? 
You know, when you go back to the time when you were dating your spouse and you were just super geeked and excited that another human would actually find interest in you, you know, you thought it was impossible and there's this person that actually shows you attention. You guys okay? Am I hitting, hitting too close to home? And, and, and man, you, you brush your teeth and you, you know, you comb your hair and you put on the cologne and the perfume and all that. And you do, you, man, you're just excited about that relationship. And then you get married and man, for the first couple of years, maybe that thing is on fire. But then it starts to waver. And whatever excuse it is, well, we're getting older, we have kids, our career, you know, whatever the excuse is, we lose focus of the relationship. And man, listen, we're faithful. We still do the right things, you know. We, we still pick our underwear up off the floor and all the, all the right things. We do the right things, but we're missing the relationship. It's the same thing that happens in our, in our marriages. Here's the, here's the truth in our relationship with Christ. Why do we leave our first love? Number one, it's because we end up loving something else. And as it relates to Christ, we're either going to love him or we're going to love something else. And many times the thing that we fall in love with is the very thing that God delivered us from. It's this world. First John chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The prosperity gospel guy's got a really hard time with that verse, by the way. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's a man in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 named Demas. And Demas was with Paul, served in ministry with Paul, probably was a disciple of Paul. But he said in verse 10, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. You see, when we start loving something else... Our love relationship with Christ will, will suffer. And, and it's not him leaving, it's us leaving. We're loving something else. God tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 that when, when we do that, we entangle ourselves with the affairs of this life. And there's a really interesting double word or double play there on that word affair. Because that's what it is. Because when we love the world and we're married to Christ, we're committing spiritual adultery. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so listen, I don't know what your relationship with Christ is this morning, but if there's ever a moment where you would say, man, it was on fire back then, and it was amazing back then, and it was, a, it was awesome, and, and I was close to the Lord, and he was close to me, and now it's different be, on, be, be wise and understand that the Lord hadn't gone anywhere. It's us. We're the ones that move away. And many times it's because we start loving the world. Number two, we move away because of unmet expectations. And, and we really don't have the time. But in John chapter 6, the famous discourse by Jesus teaching his disciples, he's teaching the whole eat my flesh, drink my blood type thing. And by the way, those words are spirit. In other words, there's a spiritual application to that truth. You're not literally eating Jesus' body and blood. But, but there's a strong teaching that God gives his disciples in John chapter 6. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 6 and verse 66, when they heard that teaching, they said, that's a hard teaching. Now, let me ask you a question. You ever sat in church and heard a hard teaching? Yeah, man, <laughs> I have too. And it's like, man, okay, that was really hard to hear. In other words, 
That's hard to hear because my expectation is this about my walk with Christ. And God just dropped this truth bomb on me, and I don't know how to handle it. Well, the truth bomb is to help me, not to hurt me. And so he drops this truth bomb on his disciples. But because of their expectation, verse 66 says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him because their expectation wasn't met. Well, the Lord is saying some things that I didn't really expect him to say. Okay. (laughs) Well, just have no expectation and trust the Lord to lead you properly. But but in my own life and in your life too and in the life of our church, if we get to the point where we set a standard or an expectation that we expect the Lord to deliver on and he doesn't meet that expectation or actually says something that's hard to hear, we need to be willing to receive it. So, so if you go to the next verse, verse 67, the Lord turns to the 12 apostles who are still kind of hanging out, and he sees all these people leaving. And the Lord grabs them by the feet and begs them, please don't go, please don't go. That's not what he did. You guys read the story. The Lord kind of gave them the invite. Hey, do you want to go too? It looks like the back door's open. Do you, do you want to go? You want to go away? And Simon Peter, thank God, had a, had a humbleness of heart. And he said, Lord, where are we going to go You have the words of eternal life. And can I just tell you, there comes a point in every disciple's life where you will be tempted to love something else other than Christ. And that may be your spouse, that may be your stuff. There's going to be a temptation to prioritize other relationships over him. But there's also going to come a time in your life where you think you've got it figured out. And the Lord throws you a curveball. And how you respond to that is going to mean all the difference between having his presence real and you walking away. Every disciple's life. Man, have you left your first love? You feel like his presence isn't what it used to be? Listen, he hasn't gone anywhere. Has your longing and desire for a relationship with him wavered? Brothers and sisters, this morning, can I just lovingly encourage you and edify you and admonish you, listen, it's not him, it's us. And so how does the Lord help this church at Ephesus recover? What he does is he gives them a challenge, and that's verse 5, and then we're done. we got just a few minutes, we're done. So here's what the Lord says, and thankfully, the Lord walks them through how to restore a right relationship with him. And I think this prescription works for us as well. Verse 5 says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. As positive as this church was, Christ said that they had fallen. Not fallen from grace, not fallen from their Christianity, not fallen from their salvation, but fallen in their walk with him. And listen, individual Christians fall and churches can fall. So when they do, Christ extends grace and mercy. He corrects their behavior, and he also gives them a warning. So number one, he tells them to remember. He says, remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember. There was a time in your life, and there was a time in this church's life, where they were on fire for the Lord. And what mattered most to them wasn't what they were doing, but what mattered most was a right relationship with him. Proverbs 24 and verse 16 says this, A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. 
And can I just tell you, if you're here today and you would say, well, my relationship with God's not what it used to be. Well, can I encourage you? There's hope. (laughs) There's forgiveness. There's restoration. There's mercy available. Even a just man falls seven times. And if we don't walk justly, we probably fall a lot more than that. But if we'll rise up again and resume a right pursuit of the Lord, he'll be right there available for us. You see, God wants you and I to remember the time in our life where our relationship with him was a priority. Your first love. Now, I love a lot of things in this life. I love my wife, and I love my children, and I love this church. And and when I say I love this church, I don't mean the building. I mean you. But my first love has to be him. It has to be him, and I can't replace him with any of those other things. We have to remember the time where we loved to get in the Word of God. We have to remember the time where we used to love to pray, even when we didn't know how to pray. We have to remember the time where we enjoyed the fellowship with his body. We have to remember the time where we came together to worship him because it was all about him. You see, the same thing, again, plays out in our marriages. It's a hard thing for a husband to continue to be infatuated with his wife like he was before she said, I do. Right? Because we just kind of, we kind of settle for less in our relationships. It's hard for a wife to keep the admiration that she had and the respect that she had for her husband before she said, I do. It's hard for her to keep that after 10, 20, 30, 40 years of marriage. We need to remember We need to go back and remember. And then secondly, God tells us we need to repent. I know that's a four-letter word in most churches. But remembrance isn't going to help you without repentance. And the word repent literally just means a turn, a 180-degree turn. It's, It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Psalm 119 and verse 59, the Bible says, I thought on my ways and I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. That's all repentance is. Repentance is a turn. And so I want to turn from whatever I fell in love with back to Christ. I want to turn from whatever my expectations are to, Lord, just whatever your will is for my life. There's, there's, no, there's no expectation, God. And, and when you remove all expectations, then the Lord can, can grow you to Christ-likeness. Number three Jesus himself says to this church, re-engage. He says, do the first works. Do the first works. In other words, do what you did when you fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, when I got saved at the age of 21, you couldn't keep me out of church. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm not trying to be weird. Every time there was a church service, I wanted to be there. Why? Because I wanted to know the Lord. I prayed Believing God was going to answer those prayers. I prayed for some dumb stuff as a young Christian, by the way. Stupid stuff. But I believe God heard me, and I believe God was going to answer. I read that Bible, anticipating God to speak to me. And I couldn't get enough of it. And I'm not trying to be legalistic and tell you, hey, ten chapters a day, five chapters. That's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is, there was a time in your life where you pursued the Lord. So let's get back to that. Do the first works. Whatever it is that you were doing when you truly loved him more than anything else, go back to that. And then lastly, there's a warning. And there's a warning to this church, and I think there's a warning for for our church if we're not careful. 
And there's a warning to all Christians. The Lord says, listen, you need to do this or I'm going to remove you. He says in that last part of that verse, he said, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, that candlestick is that church. It's the church of Ephesus. We've studied that previously. We're not talking about a a loss of salvation corporately, but God can certainly remove his hand from a church. God can remove his hand from this church. God can remove his hand from your life. And and who would want that, by the way? Nobody wants that. Well, well, God gave us the prescription. We need to remember. We need to repent. We need to re-engage and remember that if we continue to walk away from the Lord, there's some things removed out of our our life. There's some other things that we could talk about as it relates to the tribulation doctrinally, but I don't feel like the Lord would really have us spend the time there this morning. I just want to encourage the church as we end the year, Whatever your relationship is with the Lord, God wants it to be better. God wants you to start 2020, what are we starting? 2022, afresh and anew. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, do I spun that? Corey, Corey's over there. Man, pursue the Lord. And if you're here today and you say, man, it just ain't what it used to be, but your life is full of ministry and doing stuff, that ain't good enough. The Lord would whisper in your ear, yeah, you're doing all that stuff, but you left. Just come back home. Come back to a right relationship with him. Let's pray and we'll, we'll prepare our offering in just a